I love the sound of my own voice, though. Beautiful. I don't. As we learned, I do not like the sound of my voice. I love really the sound of it. your voice more than I love the sound of my voice. Your voice is like a crystal clear symphony of children. Would you say it's a bittersweet symphony? There's nothing bitter about it. It's just a sweet sympathy. Sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we had a little wine. Tell the readers. Oh, we, we didn't have any wine. Did you have wine? I would never lie to them. Don't ask me to lie to them, and don't ask me to lie for you. I won't do it. I'm like a real housewife, and I won't lie to anyone. I won't lie to anyone. Um, My integrity is too important. So I have to tell you. Tommy. Because you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creepily. With me, Carrie Ipema. And me, Quinlan Posner. <laughs> okay, so... So Carrie teased a story while we were eating our horrible health food. It was food. not horrible. And it was delicious, but it was too healthy for me. She tickled I like me less with healthy the foods. Story, the tip I of the story. I tickled you the tip of the story. And I was like, put the whole thing Let's put it together. the episode. Okay, so truly darkly, creepily. This was something that was very creepy that happened to me this week. I can't wait. So picture yourself. You're Carrie Ipema. You're me. You're in Chicago. I love it. It's an amazing. Feels good. It feels great. Your dad just wow. Made- look at my boobs. Very <laughs> <laughs> enormous. <laughs> Go on. God, you know what it's like to be Carrie Smith. Yeah, Ithima. I'm there. So, it's Thanksgiving morning. Dear readers, I'm going through a breakup, and by going through, it happened like a month and a half ago, but it still feels fresh. I'm sure somebody else out there is feeling the same way, but I'm going through it, and holidays are always notoriously very challenging, Mm -hmm. right? And my ex and I, we split up amicably, but it's still really hard. Like, it still fucking sucks. Yeah. So... The night before, he had called and wished me Happy Thanksgiving, which is very kind and nice mm-hmm. and, you know, exactly what I'd expect from him. Um, and it was welcome and it was not, you know, a breach of boundaries or anything like that. Um, and so we were texting and all of a sudden I get a notification. I go to my Instagram and there's a notification um, that someone is following me and that someone tagged me in something. And I... I look at it, and it's a picture of my ex-boyfriend. And I see in the bottom right-hand corner, it looks like a colored arrow, which I'm not on Tinder, but I assume is like a Tinder thing, whatever. And so I reach out directly to him because he had deactivated his Instagram account. And I was like, hey, is this you? And he was like, what the fuck is that? So... Someone, I then looked at my personal messages and someone sent me a personal message saying with a picture of a screenshot, a screenshot of his dating app profile that just said open relationship question mark. And it really was super fucking scary because one, I'm going through this. I'm mourning. I'm grieving the relationship as it is. I don't need to know what my ex is doing. And this person... Who the fuck said that? 
I know. So who sent it? I know. And we don't know for sure. What do you mean you don't know for sure? It's not a prep. Wait. You were messaged by somebody. So here's the thing. I was messaged and I looked at their profile. They have three pictures up there. They have their first one was put up October 31st and it's a it's a Halloween. Drawn Halloween. It's a picture of like it's a I'm going to call it bad because fuck you. It's a badly drawn picture of Kathy Bates holding a knife like in misery. It's like a drawn photo. And then it's a f- picture of clothes in a in a, you know, um, a window, right? A store window, a storefront in New York. I'm not going to, I don't need to say his name, but it made an allusion in the comment, in like the title, uh, in the um, caption that said, you know, that was alluding to his old Instagram account. And of course I had an emotional reaction because I don't want to know if they're on the apps. I don't want to know if like he's moving. I don't want to know that information but this, but this, this profile person, wait what's the profile name uh, uh, i mean you don't have to say it, but you like should gre- sort you I, should say and we can bleep it it's because i need to know i'm dying to I know. get to the bottom of this mysterious mystery it's super mysterious it sounds like the, it felt like this person wanted to reveal to me that he was on a dating app mm-hmm like we were in a relationship and he was and like cheating to on what me. End? To it's cheating, so bizarre. To just fuck with us and like open the account to fuck with you because and there's nothing it else October there. October thirty first, which is after we broke up, and so it's it was such a violation. It really hurt. Like, and the thing is, is I feel like this person was trying to maybe hurt him, and I'm oh my gonna, god, she ended up Carrie, hurting me. And so, if it's a movie, it's him doing it. It's him doing it in the movie version, but it's totally not. not. So I had told some friends and because I just had such an emotional reaction, like I just was like crying. I felt like I was back in seventh grade. I was like crying in my room on Thanksgiving. You also feel like bullied by that kind of stuff, right? It was was 11 o'clock on Thanksgiving Day, 11 a.m. Thanksgiving Day. Like this person was sober. And what's worse, they tagged me in the photo and one Woman Sex in the City, my solo show that I perform. They tagged my show profile and my personal account in this photo. That is so disturbing and creepy, and I so, hate it. It's awful, right? And How so, do I, But I also want to solve it. And I was, like, very clear with him. I was like, this is not your fault. Like, you are allowed to do whatever. I'm not mad at him for be- doing – if he's moving on in his own way. He's, mm-hmm. he's healing himself in his own way. None of this is – but I was so resentful that I was, like, shown it without ever seeking that, you know? My friend took a screenshot of the second photo, which, if you recall, dear readers, was a... Um, close was, in a window. Was close in a window. And if you zoom in, you can see <gasps> someone's reflection in it. Oh. <laughs> I'm so excited. And then you zoomed in, and then he adjusted the brightness, and I'm texting my ex about that. You know, we're, like, figuring it out. And... It was a person that I thought maybe could have been. Anyway, he was like, it could be this person. And it's it's still very not clear. But the person has, like, clear acetate glasses and I think is brunette. 
I'll, you know, maybe we can put. Holy balls. But you totally know who it is. I can tell. I don't know who it is. I don't yes, never you met this do. person. Oh, who has? What's the he relationship? Has. So I don't know who this, I'm not, obviously I'm not going to engage this person. What's great is um, his photo was taken off their account because he filed a complaint. My sister marked it as spam. I, un- I you know, untagged it, removed it because it showed up on my profile, this picture of my ex on Tinder. Like, I don't need to know. Ah, it was like such a violation. And one, it was like one thing. I was How relieved. How crazy it, is she? I was so relieved it wasn't a dude who was like after me, right? Like that obviously crossed my mind. Not to, I wasn't vain about it, but I was like, oh my God, someone's not well. But I'm also super just disappointed in that this woman on Thanksgiving Day had nothing better to do but to fuck with me, a person she's never met. And in her attempts to fuck with my ex, she fucked with me. And my ex and I are on good terms, you know? We we care about each other. Mm-hmm. And he was so upset on my behalf. Yeah. Everything that that person was trying to do... It just hurt me. <laughs> it wasn't and it's like so. Well, that was the intention. Let's I think be it was, clear. I think the I intention think was wrong. to hurt him. I you do because I think that, I think she thought that we were still together, so she was trying to out him. Out him. That's what I think happened, and I think I was supposed to be. Do you have your fuck, phone? I want to look. Yeah, absolutely. We can look. Are you happy? I saved. Oh, it's story. right there. Um, yeah. Are you happy? I saved the story um, for. I'm happy you saved the story because you are not going to believe. I have to go first. You know what? I'm starting my story. Moving on. Continue. I'm starting my story. And no, but here's why. This is honestly. It's a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale. And it's a fucking perfect fucking segue. I'm sorry to say. (laughs) You know what? If nothing else happens, I want this. At least it was a great segue. (laughs) And it's a good story for you, dear readers. If I'm going to go through this shit, I want it for content. The story I'm about to tell, I sourced from... Murderpedia and oh can I just say also that the reason that I even did this was that when I was home for Thanksgiving my mom was like what's this deal with this podcast and I was like you would love it it's uh, true crime it's paranormal it's weird stuff and she was like I just watched a completely insane dateline shut up is yours recommended by your mother yes mine is too oh my god it's a holiday themed it's a mother themed (laughs) thanksgiving show i was like mom here's my podcast which story should i research she goes oh this one oh that's so sweet so my mom was like i saw this badass dateline you got to do it on this it was totally bonkers this episode is dedicated for the moms so this is a Dateline episode. Picture the year with me, would you? It's 1986. <gasps> mm, the hair was high and the shoulders were thick. This is a story about a woman named Sherry Rasmussen. <laughs> Sherry just celebrated her first Christmas married. Oh. Congratulations, Sherry. Is she had two sisters and they were really close. They spoke like every day. And she had just married this guy, John. What happens is her sister calls her on Sherry's lunch break. Sherry's um, a nurse mm-hmm. at the Glendale Adventist Hospital. Actually, she's the director of nursing. If you want to know the truth, go Sherry. And her sister calls her on her lunch break. But Sherry had, I think, like her her back that week. So she had called in sick. So the hospital's like, she called in sick. She's home. So she calls the house. No one answers. That night, her dad calls her, the sister, and is like, somebody murdered Sherry. (gasps) And John and Sherry had been married for three months. Imagine, like, John got home, 
couldn't figure out what was going on, goes inside, sees his wife, calls the police. Like, he, oh. he like knew right away. She had been beaten to death <gasps> and shot three times no. in their home. John is so freaked out, cannot speak upset, that he asks his dad to call Sherry's parents. His dad calls Sherry's parents and lets them know. And then the dad is, like, calling the sisters to let them know. He wouldn't really, like, talk to the family after it happened, Mm -hmm. which kind of weirded them out, I think. But his morning, he basically says, like, he woke up that morning. Sherry was still in bed because her back hurt. He left the house to go to work at 7.20 in the morning. He arrived at about 8. And so they figure out she had to been killed sometime that morning. So his alibi airtight. They're not suspecting him. I don't know that they called it airtight, but I think when he went in to talk to the police, he was so genuinely broken up about it that they did not... Suspect him. I watched, like, the original interview with him. Yeah. And the police are sort of right away like, we think that someone broke into your house. We think this was a robbery. Don't worry, we'll find them. Because he is a disaster. He's like textbook how they want you to act if you have a dead wife. Well, and he also, he, 16 days after the murder, he agreed to take a polygraph. It was found inconclusive. Um, polygraphs, because, the more I read about polygraphs, uh, I don't even know if we should be, like, doing them. Like, why? You can trick them. Well, it's sort of like, it, to me, it's a little like bringing in a psychic. They got married fast, though, man. They got married, like, a year after meeting. Well, this was 86. It's... And you should see pictures of her. She's, like, got, like, a fashion-y mullet uh, in a cute, but, like, where's it cute? Like, in a way where you're, like, you can you're the one pull this off, pull it off, and I love you. She's so pretty. Anyway, beauty isn't everything. Thank you. John returns home, though, from work, and the door to their house is open. He goes up. She's, like, lying on her back in the middle of the living room. She's unresponsive. So that's how he finds her. Lyle Mayer is the name of the... Uh, now retired homicide detective that arrives on the scene. There was a broken vase over her head. She had likely been pistol whipped. There were two fingernails near the front door. Fingernails? There was a clothesline near the front door. There was... um, So he walked in and he was like, shit's fucked. Yeah, it looked like... Like, it was just... It looked like there had been quite a struggle. If there had been no gun in the mix, it feels like Sherry could have gotten away because... The fight she, she was, was putting shot. up was significant. She was shot three times. She was also bitten. So whoever was fighting her, it was like... It was... Up yeah. close, nasty, intense fight. There was... Uh, her purse was missing. The stereo was near the front door. Like, had been removed and put near the front door. Her car was missing. So they're like, it's 100% a robbery gone awry. Where somebody was like caught in the act, about to rob them, take their stereo, got busted, still managed to get the purse in the car. If only they waited 30 years, they would realize, like, stereos are, like, pretty affordable. There's a way to get a stereo. Don't do a murder for a stereo. Don't do a murder for... That's actually, like, a really bad trade. So what happened was that there was, like, a robbery nearby in that neighborhood-ish a couple weeks later... Two men with guns that a woman survived the robbery and was explaining that they were two Hispanic men. So they're like, it's definitely, these are the people that killed Sherry. So we're looking 
for... I have a feeling it's not. I have a feeling that's not what's happened. Well, it's interesting you say that because the truth is, if you look at what happened in Sherry's apartment, it feels like the burglars could have escaped easily and avoided the confrontation. I'm not going to bore you with, like, the exact apartment or condo setup, but it was three floors. And given the floor we know she was on and the main floor where the things were that, that and the, where the fight took place, it certainly feels like if she had come in and caught burglars in the act, it would have been a non-issue yeah. for them to run to away. away without this huge confrontation. This physical fight feels... Uh-huh. Odd. Not just that, but the purse was found abandoned. Not just that, but the missing BMW that they had stolen, supposedly, showed up within two weeks abandoned with the keys in the car. It didn't show up. It didn't go to a chop shop. They didn't try to sell so, it for parts. So you're saying, like, this thing is, the, the, the stolen goods were a cover-up. There was another motive. Well, let's say if you were going to rob somebody's house. You would take their belongings. Well, or here's sell the them. other question: If you were going to rob my house, my this house, okay. you walk in, Carrie. You're the robber. Where okay. are you going to look for valuables? Bedroom. Indeed, bedroom completely undisturbed, and yet the junk drawer in the living room was totally pulled out and like thrown on the floor, hmm. which looks a little posy, doesn't it? What's like posy? oh look, po- well, posed. I just it's not a oh, word. Posy. I was like, I was it like, looks Parker, Parker posy to I me. Love- it's like this. Yes. It looks like oh look, I want to really make it look like I went through the shit. The family is also tells the police, look, we have some suspicions. There was a nurse that didn't get promoted at Cherry's work, and so the nurse was kind of uh, confronting and harassing Sherry at work. She was a little nervous about that and was having security at the hospital walk her to her car, oh. which had been keyed. They knew that John had an ex that was kind of weird. Sherry had told her parents that the ex-girlfriend uh, had showed up for no reason at the house and Based at the hospital. Based on the story that I shared, my money's on that chick. Well, I'm not going to tell you yet, but you're right. The point is the detectives got really hung up on this burglar thing. They got really they set they lasered in on yes. its men. Yes. They lasered in on its yes. two men and they would anything that refuted that they just they did wrote not off. dig into and of yeah. course the case then went cold. Why do I keep we keep finding in doing this podcast mm-hmm. we've been looking at stories this is a common theme. It's like people get their blinders on and they mm-hmm. don't see any other You only see what proves your own Theory, yeah. Yeah, or your theory. Then DNA testing comes about. Like, 90s, I feel like. It's a modern... Whenever it came about, the funny thing is, like, the dad is, like, on it. And he's like, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. Can we get DNA testing? And the police are like, no, that's not how it works. We don't have the families do that. So we're not going to do it. Total fuckos bananas. So more years go by, 15 in fact, and it's 2001. The detective supervisor with LAPD proposes a new unit, and the new unit is going to be in charge of ballistics and DNA testing, and this guy Cliff Shepard, there's an unsolved unit that he's uh, in charge of, and he submits her case. And he's like, I think this should be reinvestigated because he's he was like looking through the case and he saw that there was a bite mark and was like, if you have a gun, you don't fucking bite. Not just that. But there's DNA to be tested for sure if there was a bite mark. Right. So 
he can't find the swab. The coroner doesn't have it. He looks at the report. It's not booked. It's this whole fucking nightmare. It's sloppy ass police work is what it is. I say that and like all my notes are Kimbo. So I'm sort of like, look, police, you're sloppy. I'm sloppy. You you want me to forgive you. And I get that because we are the same breed. But the thing is, I'm in charge of a true crime podcast and you're in charge of giving these families what they need, the closure they need and putting people behind bars. So it's not the same. And if you're going to be sloppy, then start a podcast. (laughs) So then there's this woman, Jennifer Francis, that sees a note about the missing swab. She's like, oh, hell no, we're finding this. So she sets out to find it, and you know what? Bitch does, because that's how she rolls. Cold cases are not priorities. So even after this tube is found, it takes a year to get the DNA tested. The results, Carrie? It's a woman. Unknown female. Why? Um, Here's the thing. Women are underestimated in wait, every... get ready. No, don't even go there yet because what I'm about to say is you're going to be like your double launch pad because given the violence at the crime scene, Cliff Shepard is like, well, I see that this DNA says it's an, un- an unknown woman. Tell me they tell it's it her. It cannot be a woman acting alone because look at all the violence. In the crime scene. Women are underestimated in every step of the way, including murders. We can be violent. We We can can be crazy. We can fucking murder people. Can and we will. (laughs) Listen, I we may make seventy nine cents on the dollar, but white women make seventy nine cents on the dollar. Kill. Shepard starts looking for male and female burglar teams. That's his new thing. He's like, was looking for these two Hispanics. Stop with no, the burglar. Everything the was burglar. ditched. Stop it already. And frankly, like, the family, as we know earlier, have these suspicions, and no one's asking them about their suspicions. In his case, he's like, oh, well, they live in Arizona. They probably, they live too far. They don't know much. Cliff, I don't know what your relationship is with your mother, but, like, my mom lives across the world from me. She knows every damn thing. She knows, like, what I'm having for dinner and if I'm running to the store for toilet paper. Believe me, if somebody murdered me, give her she a call. Know. She's got some ideas. <laughs> As my Get mom ready. says, trust your blood. Get ready, because a new detective's going to come on the scene. Do you want to know his name? I bet his name is something like Guess it. Patrick Swayze Johnny. Oh, my God. That's his name. <laughs> it's better. Detective Nuttall. How do you spell that? N-U-T. Nut. A-L-L, all, not all. He comes across the case after it's been closed more than a million times, and it was sent to him in 2008 for the archives. Archives is like the grave. They send, that's a death sentence for a case. Here's the case. You have to read through it before it goes into archives, but then it's going into archives that is buh, 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 buh. Detective Nuttall is like the last, he's the gatekeeper to the grave. Yeah. So they're like, here's the murder book. Read it and put it away. Wow. But he reads this one and he's like, oh, you know what's weird? I just read in the police report that the stereo equipment by the door had blood on it. Now, the picture they're trying to paint of what happened is that they bring the somebody stereo. went to go steal the stereo equipment and then was caught in the act of burglary, had a huge uh, physical fight with somebody and then beat it. 
that doesn't that would mean there wouldn't be blood on the stereo equipment. If there's blood on it, it means that the opposite happened. It means that there was a huge physical altercation that there was blood everywhere and then the stereo equipment was after the fact placed by the door, which is like staging the burglary. Because if you had the stereo equipment in hand, why would you not walk out the door with it? Uh, detective no. So he's like, "Huh, the goal was not burglary. The goal was murder. The goal of the person that came in there. No one tested the blood on the stereo. There were ligature marks on her arms. That doesn't sound like burglary either. That sounds like somebody was trying to bind her and it didn't work and why. Basically, the old theory starts to completely fucking disintegrate. He sees the bite info and you know not all loved that. He's like, Oh, so what we need is a woman that had a reason to kill Sherry. Which, by the way, no, duh, that's what we need. Why Why was uh, Cliff looking for this fucking Bonnie and Clyde duo at random? Because he thought that Bonnie couldn't Cliff hack it. dumbass. Cliff, I'm so sorry. Beautiful name. Beautiful name. Not a beautiful mind. Dumbass. So he narrows it down to five women. Nuttall and his friend, Detective Rob Bob. God, this is a story about the names. It's the best names in this story. I'm not going to deny it. Detective Rob Bob starts looking into this, and they start from scratch. They're like, let's throw out all this garbage that the police did, and let's fucking figure it out. Let's look at the mom. Let's look at the sister. Because with any murder case, that's, I think, what you do. Yeah. I think you look at people closest to And the mom and sister are like, oh, you want our DNA? Here it Uh -uh, is. Here it is. 100%. Please solve this. Obviously, they're not a match. Jane Goldberg was her friend and former roommate. They're like, what about her? She's like, here's my shit. Test it. I can't wait for you to solve this. Doesn't match. Sherry's sisters had mentioned that nurse, remember, that had worked for her and was passed over promotion, um, maybe keyed the car. Sherry had made a formal complaint about her. They find out she's now living in San Francisco. They ask for a formal assist to get a what's called I think a surreptitious DNA test which is what it sounds like it's like where you like sneaky style basically they dumpster dive to like get DNA so they do that with her they don't get a match the last suspect is the ex of John's Nuttall learned about her when he called Sherry's parents he's frustrated the dad is because he's like I definitely told investigators this why am I saying it again like why are you calling me with the same questions feels like he's answering this thing and he's like I told you I told you years ago to look at this person are you kidding me John confirms that he was seeing someone in college and that he was seeing someone on and off again till he met Sherry and her name was Stephanie Lazarus she's LAPD (gasps) she's fucking LAPD and LAPD is the, are the people working on it. No! Yeah, she's been a well-respected police officer for 26 <gasps> years. Oh, I'm sick! She's been, like, the face of the LAPD. She, she like, ran the D.A.R.E. program at schools. She Fuck like her. They did, like, a fun family feud thing where they needed fun L.A. cops to represent them on Family <gasps> Feud, and they picked her. Like, she's the face of LAPD. She's had tons of success. She's become, like, an expert on art theft. So, basically, they start asking more questions, and they find out that 
Sherry had told them John's ex-girlfriend came to her office at the hospital dressed provocatively and confronted Sherry about John and said if she couldn't have John, nobody could. She also said if the marriage doesn't work out, I want you to know that I'll be waiting to pick up the pieces. Mark Overland, who ends up being Sherry's attorney, says it didn't happen and that that confrontation was that Sherry came to the hospital and said, you need to have John leave me alone since you guys are engaged. Um, and that John was coming after her. I need more wine. Hold on. So John's ex-girlfriend, uh, Stephanie, had kept appearing in places Sherry would go. She couldn't, like, go to the store. She couldn't go to the gym. This one was stalking. Stephanie was stalking. Can we just Completely hold on Completely stalking her. This is what I need to do right now. Mm-hmm. Moving on. John's, like, f- trying to tell her to stop. The message isn't getting through. But I think it seems like all the evidence, it seems like Stephanie was trying to break them up. What ends up happening at some point is John comes over. Stephanie gets really upset because she finds out that they were engaged. John comes over because she calls flipping out and he's like, calm down. And she says, can we have sex one more time? And he does. Damn it. Oh, man. He has sex with Stephanie when they're engaged. What happens is they have sex. Stephanie goes to Sherry's work and is like, now I found out how to end the relationship. Tells Sherry, just so you know, I had sex with John. Trying to break them up. Yeah. And Sherry goes to John and is like, what happened? He tells her the truth and is like, I'm so sorry, but please, it's a mistake. I want to marry you. They get married anyway. And when Stephanie comes back to kind of go to Sherry's work again and accost her and be like, I don't know, taunt her about it or whatever, she's like, yeah, I know. Like, I know that happened and I've forgiven him and we're okay. It's sort of like it's untouchable. And that maybe was the final straw. Stephanie met John at college in UCLA. She was JV basketball. He was a year older. She super wanted a relationship with him. And it was a case of he's just not that into her. She kind of has this all-prove-everyone-wrong attitude in life. Women don't play sports. I play sports. Women aren't cops. I'm a cop at the time, especially. Her reputation in the department was totally stellar. She was chosen to work at Internal Affairs, investigating other officers of wrongdoing. Jesus Christ. I know. So she finally, like, settles at this unit that studies art theft. Um, She ends up marrying, in 1996, another LAPD detective, and they adopt a baby daughter. Because so, the thing is, is, she ended up killing this woman. Years ago. Years ago. And then she never got the guy. Like She, that's... she didn't get the guy. It's nuts. She totally killed her for the guy. Didn't get the guy. He was devastated to lose Sherry. I don't even know how she would have tried to hit that at that point. You know what I mean? How do you get in there? Oh, my God. And Sherry had said someone was stalking her that had crazy eyes and was dressed like a man. It was definitely Stephanie, and I'll show you a picture because Stephanie has cuckoo crazy eyes. Yeah, Everybody that's listening, Google Stephanie Lazarus and look at those cuckoo crazy eyes. And they'll picture like somebody weirdly dressed like a man stalking her. People were like, she's a spaz when she gets mad because she had this stellar reputation. So you want to be like, what? 
this is so left field. It's definitely not like the cuckoo was there. But what's crazy to me is that, like, all this stuff coming out about Sherry being stalked, this guy, like, why wasn't I, like, this this feels like really pertinent fucking information when someone, like, that's fucking motive. it was a burglary committed by men, and that's what they decided from the moment they walked in. And anything that was... so sickening. Do you want to go talk to this person that was, like, sort of stalking Sherry and threatening her? What does she do? Oh, she works in the LAPD. And she's a... She wasn't yet. Or... No, she was. She was. So maybe that... Oh, that was it. Oh. So when he said that, the dad was like, do you want to go talk to this woman? And then ends up being like, I don't know her name, but she was stalking my daughter and John's ex... Do you want to go talk to her? She's LAPD. You know what they said to him? What? You've been watching too much television. Trust your blink, baby. Trust your blink. Well, he John did didn't, trust his blink. John did not trust his blink. Don't get me started on John, because I, I definitely think John must have had, like, he didn't come out with, I had sex with her. He didn't come out with a lot of the stuff. So here's what happens. Okay. So they follow her and her daughter around, and they go to into a Costco, and they dumpster dive her soda cup and get the dna sample yeah we love a costco free sample so they it matches obviously the dna matches the bite so they're like it's stephanie what are we gonna do she's a cop what are we going to do so here's what they do so it's like they don't know how to question her because she carries a gun so it's it's they don't want her to Murdy or Suey, anyone. Yeah. So they're like, what are we going to do? So they kind of use this ruse, and they're like, there's a guy we're investigating who says he knows about art theft. Um, We want to see if he knows about it. Can you come in because you're an expert? They kind of, like, play to her ego. So we're holding him in the – we're talking to him in the jail division. And the jail division, you – you have to be disarmed to enter it. So she thinks she's going to work, essentially, and she comes in and gets disarmed. They – put a hidden camera in a briefcase and you've got to watch this video. She gets so flustered when they start questioning her. So they start asking questions about Sherry and their relationship and she gets wide-eyed, talking quickly and erratically. Defensive, of course. I think she can't believe... She does weird stuff. First she, like, fake pretends to not remember John and then, oh, Shelly? or Sherry or whatever, like, pretends to not remember her name. But she seems amped up. But she's, like, pretending not to remember all these details she definitely would remember. And at first she's like, I never talked with her. Or I did. Oh, I I did. I talked to her at the hospital she worked at. But if I talked to her, I was just telling her to have John leave me alone because he was bothering me. They're like, oh, did you talk to her more than once? And she's like, no, I mean, I talked to her once. I don't even know if I talked to her. I mean, maybe I talked to her once or, you know, maybe, maybe I, maybe I talked to her twice or, you know, it might've been three times, but it was bizarre how she's answering the question. She's all fucking over the place. Wow. And she can't remember whether or not she was ever in their condo. She doesn't think... Oh, and then they say, did you ever have a fight with Sherry? Did you ever, like, duke it out with her physically over anything? She says she doesn't think they did, but she can't be sure, which is also bonkers because what kind of life do you lead if you can't remember if you had a physical fight with your ex's fiance. I mean, that's that's 
crazy. But she's, she, again, she doesn't know what they're holding. She's trying to not get caught in a lie, but she doesn't know how much they know. <gasps> I... Oh, so then she finally, they're asking enough provocative questions about this that she finally is like, I need a lawyer. Or she's like, I'm not going to do this. She walks out of the room and they arrest her. You know, the family, it's like they're glad to have closure, but the LAPD did such a shit job that, you know, they didn't interview anybody. They ignored all these leads. They, they kind of wonder... Was it sloppy police work or was it a cover-up? Be- yeah. And you have to wonder that because it's LAPD investigating LAPD. Yeah. I think it's sloppy, to be honest. I think they hung tight to this, this robbery thing motive. and just wouldn't yeah. let it go. I'd be like a more fun story if it was like a conspiracy theory of cover-up, but I actually just think it's sloppy. Be. So in 2012 fucking quarter of a century later um, she's tried for murder some of the evidence they present is that she was off work that day the day of the murder she worked in the area the bullets in Sherry were the kind LAPD carried in their weapons obviously we know about the DNA match she also reported her gun stolen like two weeks after the murder so what is assumed oh, wow. to have happened is that she probably she reported that at the marina or, or something at the dock that somebody had broken into her car and stolen a number of things including her gun uh what more than likely happened is she ditched the gun she because it's the murder weapon so she let's say threw yeah. it in the ocean and then needed to report it missing so that it could never be Connected. Connected. They also go to her house and they find her journal and it has a bunch of weird references to John in it and says that she was sad he was getting married and she was depressed and she couldn't concentrate at work and she couldn't think of anything else. And then... So uh, you don't keep a journal, folks. Don't do it. Well, if you're a murderer. Let me if be clear. You're, listen, if you're... If you're anyone like a, else, anyone your else, thoughts down on paper. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, paper, baby. But if you're a murderer, I wouldn't keep a journal. I would highly advise against keeping a journal if you're a murderer. In the trial, John does confess to... Uh, having sex with Having her. sex with her when she was upset about the engagement. He talks about Sherry forgiving him, them going ahead with the wedding. But also, they look at her computer... Uh, Stephanie's, and they see that here we are, however many years later, she was still doing, 15 years later, she was still searching him all the time on the <gasps> computer. Oh, no. I mean, I, yes, okay. One, oh, no. Totally reminds me of your sitch. But also, it reminds me of just life, because don't we all awkward Google Exes? boyfriends? I don't have that many boyfriends I will in my Google past. anyone I ever slept with. It doesn't take long, folks. I'm not that kind of girl. But I will definitely, like, <laughs> Google stock everyone from my I past have had so mercilessly. few boyfriends in my life. You don't Google stock anybody? You're not just like, I want to know what I'm this guy's up to? I'm genuinely friends with my first ex-boyfriend. He and I will, like, text a kid. Like, it's very, I'm not, because I know what he's up to. Because we talk. It's not like I'm... Mm-hmm. But Because it, it, it ended amicably. My current ex, I'm trying to... Like, luckily, he's not on social media, so I'm not searching. You're the opposite of me. Well, when it's current. Well, no. I guess because no, the thing I is... I Google this, everybody all the time. This feels closure. Honestly, this story makes me very afraid. Well, that's why I'm telling it to you. 
I'm telling you because you need to know, given that do you see Luckily though why I'm like this over. is a fucking segue? Because I'm like, this is how it starts. People are cuckoo crazy. They get hung up on people. They can't move past it. This woman didn't do anything before that we know of or after that we know of. She wanted to make it work with John and she saw red about this wedding and was like, fuck you. I'm going to Listen, we're broken her. up, okay? Your wish is at my command. We broke up. <laughs> okay, Lady. Stephanie got 27 years to life. Not enough. She is currently serving her sentence at the Central California Women's Facility. She will be eligible for par- parole in, like, 20, like 2039. However, what? I would love for you to know that due to her lengthy service... At the LAPD. She's getting pension. You better fucking believe it. $72,000 a fucking year. Bitch makes more money than either one of us. <laughs> combined. Sitting it combined <laughs> as she sits in prison. I cannot handle the, the injustice reason- of that on That's any so level. That's so not okay. If you kill people, you don't. Get, get to pension. make money. You don't get to, you don't, you get, don't your get your pension. I don't I'm care sorry, how bitch. many fucking paintings you saved. You killed someone with You're your done. police gun, with your police bullets in your police uniform. And I'm sure. And I'm. Sh- it was she was in her police uniform. I don't actually know that to be true. But I'm sure I do her know police her, experience you know made it so that she was, was undetectable. Because how easy would it be to walk out of there and not have people look at you twice, and not have anyone be like, "Well, I did see a policeman." She bit her. She God, bit the her. Rage. She grabbed her bathrobe and used it as a silencer when she shot her. I mean, it's like the darkest of the dark. What the fuck? I can't talk about this anymore because I'm genuinely afraid by it's this story. It's terrifying. Because, dear readers, nothing of the same caliber happened to me. But the beginnings of this happened to That's me. That's why I was like, this is a segue. I mean, it's really scary and it's crazy when people are... And here's the point. She wasn't batshit crazy to where everyone was like, she's crazy. She was blend in crazy and did one murder. One's enough. But like, I'm saying the rest of her life, she was just like, and now I'm going to be top of my game at work and I'm going to marry someone somebody else. someone kills me, I know who this person is. Her name is... Don't do it. <laughs> All right. I guess I'll do my story. And again, we're doing this for the moms. So I told my mom about the podcast, and she was like, oh, you got it. I go, which which story? Which, which like, true crime, whatever story I should do? She goes, oh, you should do the story of Sam Shepard. Have you heard the story of Sam Shepard? The writer? Not the writer. Not the beloved writer or the star of nope. A Walk to Remember. Nope. <laughs> Zathina Walk. No. He was in... He was another Nicholas Sparks. He was in The Notebook. He plays Noah's dad. Oh, I haven't seen the notebook. <gasps> I don't want to talk about it. I'll see it. Okay. So I got my information from Wikipedia, biography.com, and I was influenced by my mother, who learned about this in her schooling, in a university training. My mom hmm. was, a, was a journalist major, and they teach this case, is what I heard. So the story of Sam Shepard. So he was born in Cleveland in 1923, and in high school he was voted most likely to succeed. That is like the kiss of death. So um, he went... (laughs) Well, they don't vote you, like, likely to get murdered or be murdered. Well, he wasn't murdered, but he was most likely to succeed. 
At murder? At murder, but not at... We don't know. We don't know. Okay, okay, okay. Tell the story. Okay, so he went to school. He was a smart guy. He was attractive. He went to school, and he's turns out he's a neurosurgeon, right? He's doing his residency in California. He marries his high school sweetheart, this chick named Marilyn. They're in love. They get married. They move back to Ohio, where they live in a wealthy suburb of Cleveland, right? And they have a son named Sam... I don't know if he's a, technically a junior, but he's Sam Shepard, named after his father, Dr. Sam Shepard. Um, and Marilyn is now four months pregnant. So Sam is seven years old. She's four months pregnant. It is July 3rd, the day before the Day of Independence, 1954. Um, the couple has these friends over um, at their house. They have this beautiful house in the suburb of Cleveland. It's on Lake Erie. Ooh. Um, and they started to watch the movie Strange Holiday. Dr. Sam, no, I don't either, but Dr. Sam, it was a strange holiday. Dr. <laughs> Sam falls asleep on the daybed, and apparently Marilyn's like, ugh, that husband of mine, he's asleep. Let me walk these neighbors out. So she walks the neighbors out. She goes up to bed. He's sleeping on the daybed. Um, very early in the morning on July 4th, 1954, Dr. Sam hears screaming. He goes upstairs to check on his wife, and he sees this guy bludgeoning her, and then he's knocked out. Some altercation. Some of that Some of that information is hazy, right? It's all, mm-hmm. you know, his recollection. But he goes upstairs to check on his wife. He's knocked out. He wakes up. He sees his wife's lifeless body. He checks her pulse. He leaves. He's She's gone. He leaves. He goes to check on his son. His son is sound asleep. He goes downstairs, sees an intruder, um, who he describes as a bushy-haired intruder. He gets Bad a, description. Bad description. He just was knocked out. He gets in a fight with this guy. He chases him out to the beach. They're right on the beach of Lake Erie. He chases him out, gets in a fight with the guy. The guy knocks him out. So he's unconscious. He comes to at like 5.30 in the morning, goes home, calls his neighbors. The neighbors come over. Calls his neighbors. Calls his neighbors to come over. Not 911. Not 911. Huh. His neighbors, interesting. Wouldn't have been by choice. Maybe they were far away. He needs someone immediately. And he was like, I'll call 911 next, but let me call the neighbors. Does he call 911 next? I don't know. The police eventually come. The police eventually come because there's a dead woman named Marilyn upstairs. So the neighbors come. He has no shirt on and his trousers, his knees are covered in blood. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the crime scene. It's his torn jeans. Not torn jeans. He just has blood on his knees. Okay, okay. I'm picturing torn jeans. She was bludgeoned to death. So she has, like, there's blood spatter everywhere. There's a lot of blood, a lot of places. So Dexter comes. So Dexter comes and he's like. I always picture the blood spatter analyst being Dexter. FYI, Dexter. And everyone. he's hot. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Every blood spatter analyst is he's fucking super broken. So they find out, they looked, um, they look and items from the house look to be stolen. So including Dr. Sam's wristwatch, mm-hmm. his keychain, his key, his fraternity ring. Um, but then later they were found in the bushes in the back of the house. He was obviously incredibly disoriented from this experience. And so the mm-hmm. police come and they start questioning him. 
And there were a couple things that puzzled the police about this, right? So they had a dog. The dog did not bark at the intruder, which is peculiar. And then their son, right. who was seven years old, was sound asleep in the adjacent room. No one heard room. shit. No one heard shit. Just bizarre. So um, the jury found, or the police, sorry, excuse me. The police found no evidence of a break-in, and immediately Dr. Sam became the prime suspect. The Dr. Dad. Got Dr. it. Dr. Dad. He became the prime suspect. Dr. Dad Sam. Got it. Um, in August of 1954, he was indicted by a grand jury, and so became the longest-running and most sen- one of the most sensationalized court cases. So this was in 54. So this is like media sort of grabbed hold of this and had this really intense bias towards Dr. Sam. So the story that I told of the crime scene is based on Sam's recollection of Dr. Sam's recollection because he's the only person who's only witness there. So it kind of just got to be really fucking crazy. The press believed him to be guilty. Even the judge of the case believed him to be guilty before the case started. How do you know that? Crazy. You shouldn't know that. You shouldn't know no that. No one should at know what the all. judge thought prior to the case. What all. the more so like if this was like they, I've heard it compared to like the O.J. Simpson trial where like it just was highly sensationalized. Got it. Right? So um, the media latched on and were later accused of being biased by against Shepard. A federal judge later criticized the media, like after a lot of appeals, spoiler alert, um, if ever there was a trial by newspaper, this is a perfect example. And the most insidious example was the Cleveland Press. For some reason, that newspaper took, a, took it upon itself Um, The role of accuser, judge, and jury. So these are some of the headlines from that night. Why isn't Sam Shepard in jail? And that title was later changed to quit stalling and bring him in. They also had one that was like, that addressed the coroner that was like, Dr. Gerber, do something. And Dr. Gerber was the coroner. He's like, fine, I'll invent baby food. He so that day, like the newspaper was like it was like call and response. The newspaper was like commenting on the case, and then the police or the investors were like, "Okay, we'll we'll do that. We'll do that." Right? They were feeling the pressure in the yeah, media. Yeah. What they're missing is a motive, mm-hmm. right? Why would he kill his wife in the middle of the night? Yeah, it came out that he had he kind of had some extramarital affairs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doctor Sam did one. With a nurse. He was a neurosurgeon. There was a nurse. A tale as old as time. <laughs> Tune as old as song. You know? Um, rising in the East. Um, <laughs> and what was really crazy is I hate, I'm trying to think. I, again, my notes are also akimbo. We don't claim to be organized. We don't claim to be organized. We want to bring you these stories with efficiency. <laughs> so we bring them disassembled and we reassemble them with our mouths Live. once Live. we've drank much of wine. It's problem. It's and actually we, a problem. Yeah. Just, you know what? You get what you give. Okay, readers? <laughs> so the judge before, the, the judge of the first trial, mm-hmm. before the trial started, he spoke to a columnist and said, well, he's guilty as hell. There's no question about it. Oh. That's what the fucking judge said. And <laughs> While I'm reading this, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's just not all matching up. It's similar to your story where, like, I feel like the police were like, it's him, and everything they did was just they're to like, prove We saw him. someone weird in the neighborhood that, and they're like, 
doesn't matter. Was his name Sam Shepard? Don't want to meet they him. They did see some weird people, right? Because he had this bushy hair intruder. Bushy hair intruder. He was having an affair with the nurse, and this became a huge motive for the police. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, he had an affair? He did it. That's his motive. Which I don't know how that sort of works. Mm-hmm. How that, like, point A is like, he had an affair, to point B being like, he murdered someone. I don't understand, like that correlation necessarily Mm-mm. but they certainly thought they're so. like well he's a bad guy and it got so much media attention that a radio host had got a call from a new york a, a woman in new york that was like i'm his new york mistress and i have his illegitimate child whoa and what's even crazier about that is that was during the trial and one of the jurors heard that told the judge and the judge was like, did not tell them to ignore it. And also, this was before the jury was sequestered. So the <clears throat> jury was constantly being influenced by this media attention, yeah. right? And I understand the first thing to do is say, oh, it's someone they know. It's the husband. It's who's in the building. Yeah, that's what you do. That's what you do. But I don't know if that actually works. So his recollection was fairly inconsistent of the night. But I think that's a tribute to him being fucking knocked out multiple times um which i will say was proved by another neuro another neurosurgeon a you know a doctor a physician of the neuroscience persuasion he had like a contusion in his cervical he had a cervical contusion he had bruises on his bottom like on his neck he had um his wee f- his reflexes, his reflexes. <laughs> he couldn't play wee for he shit. He couldn't play wee for shit in the nineteen fifties. Tennis bowling, terrible. <laughs> he had his reflexes were weakened, and the doctor was like, "There's no." And I know what you're thinking. He was a neurosurgeon. He can fake this stuff. The doctor who tested him for these like injuries were like, "You can't fucking fake this. Mm-hmm. You can't do it." Okay. So here's what the prosecutor said about the case. They said there was no sand in his hair. He had an altercation on the beach, but there was no sand in his hair. Where was the sand? Mm-hmm. Um, where did his T-shirt go? He showed up shirtless. Where did his T-shirt go? Wait, that is weird. It is weird. I feel like when I was reading this, the shirt was never recovered. They were like, maybe he's covering up. Because when you bludgeon someone, blood Did splatter piece. fucking yeah. happens. Mm-hmm. As we learned from other episodes of this podcast. But what I think happened is he fell asleep on the day, day bed watching Strange Holiday. And you mm-hmm. know sometimes, it was July 3rd, it's the 1950s, air conditioning probably wasn't a thing. He probably woke up and was like, I am tired, I am hot. And he took off his shirt, is what I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Did you ever do that? Where you're like, I am hot. Sure. You know what? I did do that, and my shirt was quite easily recovered. <laughs> so that's all I have to say about that. I'm going to blame shoddy policemanship on that one, because where did it go? Um, <laughs> really? That's what you're going to blame? Well, I don't you think know. that? Yeah, it's a little weird they didn't find a shirt. Okay. I know more than you do. That's, oh. how, that's how I'm operating on this. You're not wrong. I know more than you do. Not generally, but in this instance. In this, not generally for sure, but in this instance, I do. So the <laughs> stolen goods, why were they discarded in the back of the house? Why were they in the bushes? So a lot of the pro- a prosecutor had a lot of questions, a lot of questions. There was no murder weapon. They didn't know how she was killed. Um, the coroner, 
stated that there was a blood imprint on the pillow beneath Marilyn's head like it was made by a two-blade surgical instrument with teeth on the end of each blade, like a scalpel. Whoa. Dr. Sam would have a scalpel. He would have a scalpel. He was a neurosurgeon, and he knows how to cut a head up for sure. But he didn't have anyone there to go, scalpel? (laughs) He didn't have, you're absolutely right. He was like, scalpel. We all know doctors can't find their own scalpel. That's why they have to do scalpel. Scalpel, you know? But here's what's really crazy. So Shepard's lawyer during this case, did that make sense? Here's what's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Shepard's lawyer during this case was denied access to the physical evidence by a judge and could not argue anything in defense. What? (laughs) To me, crazy. When I was reading this case, I was like, oh, this is why this law exists. This is why juries are sequestered. This is why the media can't. This is what a fair... This All is bonkers bananas. What year is this? 1954. Okay, okay, okay. Fine. Still, 1954. Well, no, they were figuring this stuff out. They were figuring it they out. They were like, oh, this isn't going great. So the defense position is that he sustained multiple injuries that was checked by a doctor. There was not enough blood on him. You know, it was only on the knees of his pants. Marilyn had two teeth broken. Um, suggesting that she may have bit her assailant, but he had no open wounds. Now, this was a little bit hearsay because she might have lost her teeth during the attack, right? They had 18 character witnesses, and two testified that they had seen Mm -hmm. a bushy-haired man. So on December 21st, after four days of deliberation, Shepard was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. The jur- like the media storm of everything was crazy. It was influencing the jury, all that stuff. But what's really sad, he was convicted on December 21st. On January 7th, his mother committed suicide. <gasps> oh. And then 11 days later, his dad died of a bleeding Broken ulcer heart. and oh. stomach cancer. I can say the only good thing is he was able to attend their funerals, but it was in handcuffs. In 1959, so... Brutal. So brutal. So, like, four or five years after he was convicted or... And if you assume he didn't do it, he lost his mother, father, wife... Everyone. 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 Well, not his son. Not his son. Oh, God. He was seven at the time. Seven? Mm Mm-hmm. This fucking kid. And his wife was pregnant. His wife was four months pregnant. Oh, that kills me. Really bad. 1959. I'm picturing Harrison Ford for the movie. So you know it. The Fugitive? Yeah. This is what it's based on. Are you fucking with me? No. Oh, my God. Everything we do is a movie. Movies (laughs) are life and life are movie. (laughs) This is what The Fugitive is based on. That is crazy. It was a 1963 TV series and a 1993 Movie with Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Oh my God! I have to tell you something. You're not going to be surprised. I've never seen The Fugitive. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) You're the worst. All right. So 1959, he's still in jail. He voluntarily took part in a cancer study with Sloan Kettering. Mm Mm-hmm where he allowed live cancer cells to be injected in his body. Crazy. Crazy. 
This he was man. in jail. Throughout all of this, he maintained his innocence, and his lawyer attested that the publicity from the murder made a fair trial absolutely impossible, and he tried to appeal it, but was absolutely denied. Finally, he got a new lawyer, and in 1964, who was very aggressive, he was put on the case, and he was allowed, he, he filed for an appeal, and he was allowed to be released from prison on bond, and gave the prosecutor 60 days to press charges against him again. Otherwise, mm-hmm. the charges would be dismissed permanently. Basically, 1964, he was released from jail because of an appeal. He finally got granted an appeal. Got it. Then the state of Ohio then appealed that ruling to this U.S. Court of Appeals, and Mm -hmm. it was reversed. And then this lawyer went and went to the Supreme Court, and it was reversed again. Sorry, that's confusing. Basically, the Supreme Court struck down the murder conviction because they were like, whoa, this was a carnival atmosphere. There's no way that was due process was fucking impossible. You could not get a fair case. You could not get a fair trial from this media shitstorm. So in 1966, he was out of prison and then they were going to retry him in a fair trial. Yeah. Right. Basically, they were like, this was not fair. And an eight to one decision. Redo, redo. Redo, redo. So October 1966, they did a retrial. There was no cameras, no reporters. Um, The jury was finally sequestered. Mm -hmm. And whereas the first case they deliberated for four days, in this case they deliberated for 12 hours and he was found not guilty. Oh, love it. Right? So, But he was still in jail for 10 years. I know. Really sad. So three weeks after he was found not guilty, he appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Oh. Weird. Weird. Well, but it takes a life. little bit of a dark turn because in 1968, what? <laughs> Don't know what accent it was, but loved it. In 1968. <laughs> so he went and he started his practice again, right? Remember, he's a neurosurgeon. Right, right, right. But after all this happened, he started drinking a lot. Yeah. He, he really took to the hooch pretty 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 significantly. You know what I mean? He really went for it. During work hours? Yeah. Dang it. Yeah. And so he, he like, started his practice again. And then in 1968, he was granted surgical privileges again. And in the first one, he did this procedure and he nicked some chick's artery, killed her. And was drunk. Mm-hmm. And then a couple months later... He accidentally killed someone else. Dang it. <laughs> really not good. Not a good look. So then he actually, he was like, you think I'm a murderer? This is straight up making a murderer because they like really, tr- it was a whole fucked up situation. It takes an even weirder turn. <gasps> At 1969, he was 45 years old. He became a pro wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> What was his name? Named Killer Sam Shepard. No. <laughs> After he had actually killed two people? He fucked. <laughs> what? It's so weird. This is nuts. So he went, he did like four, he had a wrestling coach, blah, blah, blah. He ended up like marrying his wrestling manager's daughter. Like she was a lot younger. He did, by the way, earlier, he married this other chick who was, like, a right, German woman. we knew woman. he was kind of a douchey douche, He's though. kind of a douchey douche. Um, basically, at 40... By the way, this is... The Fugitive is not based on this, Carrie. 
The Fugitive is beautiful. Well, The Fugitive is based on the beginning parts of this. The end of... I'm just saying, like, I don't remember the character's name in The Fugitive. Maybe it was Sam Shepard. Anyway. It was Sam Shepard. Oh, it might have been. That Sam Shepard is not this Sam Shepard, and I want to defend that fictional character because <laughs> I care for him. Anyway. Well, this guy, I feel like he was, like, the Netflix special of Making of a Murderer. This is what happened. He was, like, in jail for 10 years. He was convicted. Everybody, like... His life We're was destroyed. We're all on your side, and now you're making it really hard. You're We're still really on your hard. side, but oh, man, you're, you're making, making it, it really hard. hard. So he had 40 matches, and in 1970, he died. In a wrestling match. No. oh Due to liver failure. Drinky, drinky. But I have to say, I just want to go back to the wrestling really quick. Please. Apparently, because of his experience as a neurosurgeon, he would do this, like, nerve hold because he knew what how to affect a nerve or something. That is cool. Kind of cool. Kind of badass. After his death, his son was like, his son, who's still around, was like, Sam, this is another son, son, son Sam. Some, son of Sam. Son of became Sam. Became son of Sam. Became son of Sam. This oh is another movie. Oh, my God. Um, he was like, my dad was wrongfully accused. The way he died was exactly because of what you did to him, the media, all this stuff. And I want to find, I want to find justice for my dad. And my mom. And my mom. Well, Sam, don't forget about your mom. Of course. Okay. So he turned, so at the time there was this guy, Richard Eberling, who was the family's window washer. I don't know what kind of hair he did. At what time? Same time. At current time? The time. At the time of the murder. Mm -hmm. At the time of the murder. Was he a bushy haired? I don't, I don't know his hair. I don't know what his hair looked like. Thank you for being honest. You're welcome. I can't. But this guy, Richard, real weird, real suspect. Mm-hmm. I don't love Richard. So Richard, he was involved in a bunch of burglaries. And within his sort of loot, he was like, yeah, I have these two rings from Marilyn Shepard. It's crazy, right? Oh, I got them from Dr. Sam's brother who had a box that was like Marilyn's belongings. That's how I got those. And they're like, okay, all right, Richard, that's a little weird. But, like, do you have any reason to believe, like, your blood would be at the crime scene? And he was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that day, it's weird, I cut my finger washing windows. Doesn't happen. The day she died. So, yeah, it's weird. I think my blood probably might be around there. But, again, I just cut my finger. Now, I want to be very clear. This is in the 90s when this is kind of coming up again and so all this information similar to your case it's like coming up again it's like what is going on so apparently his blood is around there um he took a polygraph test guess what he passed it but then it was checked by another group of people who were like "Mm, that's actually inconclusive and it looks like he's being deceptive because we know how these work because we know how these work now and we had a psychic read it the other weird thing about Richard Eberling mm-hmm. is he had been around in a lot of other suspicious deaths. Go on. So there was this woman, this elderly woman, this wealthy elderly woman who died. And he was like the executor of her will. And someone had looked into it and were like, oh, that's so weird. 
Richard didn't honor her burial or her final wishes. Mm. That's so bizarre. And so upon further investigation, they, like, looked at her autopsy and they, they said, you know, these injuries don't actually go along with what Richard had said happened when she died. He claimed that they were in-house injuries. They Oops. were not consistent. I think it was her sisters. There were two people that she was related to. I think mm-hmm. it might have been her sisters that also died, and they were under his care. <gasps> one was bludgeoned, and one fell down the stairs, and both died. Wow. So he was convicted of murder of the first elderly woman. As this is happening, modern DNA is kind of coming into play at this point. Mm-hmm. And I found two articles that were a little bit conflicting, but Basically, one of them was like, that's his DNA. Some of it was like, this is a little old, and it probably is like all white men would be under this sort of umbrella of this DNA. But there was one that said his DNA was everywhere around the murder scene, in the closet, on the walls, and her body, all that stuff. So he's in prison, and Dr. Sam's son is like, this is the guy. This is the guy who killed my mom. This is the fucking guy. And he even admitted it to someone when he was in prison, <gasps> oh, which is crazy. But unfortunately, he's dead before any charges were pressed. The home where the murder took place was demolished in 1993. The case still remains unsolved. Oh, we fucking just solved it. Yeah, but call it's the not officially. Call the police. It's not <laughs> what officially live solved. on this? We always called the police to tell them to hey, weigh in. We solved it. We solved it. Also, do better. In 1995, the son brought a civil suit against the state to declare his father was innocent rather than just not guilty. Yeah. Um, But in 2000, the jury found him not innocent. Hmm. And so not guilty. So he wasn't innocent, but he's not guilty, which is a different thing. Maybe he hired that window washer to kill his wife. I don't think so. I'm just trying to figure out what not innocent, not guilty means. So the case currently remains unsolved, technically. In 2002, there was Give a- it to Rob, Bob. <laughs> Give it to Rob, Bob. <laughs> Detective Rob, Bob. Detective Rob, Bob. He's right on top of that. In 2002, there was a book that came out that theorized that it could have potentially been this guy, um, James Call, that I'm hoping one of us do in the future. He was a murderer, an Air Force deserter, who went on a, a multi-stage um, crime spree. Multi-state, God. My typing is bad. Um, he was an Air Force deserter who went on a multi-state crime spree during that time. So there's I a think writer you that theorizes just to that. I think <laughs> there's a writer that theorizes that that guy did this, but I really think it's his rot Richard fucking Eberling. The fact that he had like three people die under his care, it's like where the right. police? Where were you? And also, he was the window washer there. Yeah, he worked in the premise, and they still wouldn't so he could have fucking been scouting and scouting, and he had a rings. He had her rings, which he claims to have gotten from the uncle, which even if that was the case, the fact that the his blood is around. The uncle didn't have her rings. Get a grip. The fact that his blood is around. I just can't believe. I don't have a brother, but I'm not giving him my fucking rings right? if I do. I'm wearing my rings. This guy's a burglar. He's the head of a state of these elderly women who have all died in mysterious ways. I don't like you, Richard. I don't like you or your ass face. And I assume he has bushy hair. I'm just assuming. I think we should Google image him. Maybe he had a, a clown wig. <gasps> <laughs> should we call Wrinkles and ask if it was him? Wrinkles. 
It wrinkles. Was it you? So that's the story of Sam Shepard. All right, let's go eat Talenti. Hey, dear readers, thanks for joining us. This is a long one. Good this for is... us. Do we say goodbye now? Or we did it already? Is that did enough? We? Hey, <laughs> we'll see you later. Hey, peace out. Peace out. Bye.